Book 2, Chapter 10 of Camilla. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Kath Gard. Camilla, or A Picture of Youth by Fanny Burney. Chapter 10 A Panic. Upon the ensuing Sunday, Edgar proposed that a party should be made to visit a new little cottage, which he had just fitted up. This was agreed to, and as it was not above a mile from the parish church, Sir Hugh ordered that his low garden phaeton should be in readiness, after the service, to convey himself and Eugenia thither. The rest, as the weather was fine, desired to walk. They went to the church as usual in a coach and a chaise, which were dismissed as soon as they alighted. But before that period, Eugenia, with a sigh, had observed that Melman, the young Oxonian, was strolling the same way, and had seen, with a blush, that Bellamy was by his side. The two gentlemen recognised them as they were crossing the churchyard. The Oxonian bowed profoundly, but stood aloof. Bellamy bowed also, but immediately approached, and as Sir Hugh at that moment accidentally let fall his stick, darted forward to recover and present it him. The baronet, from surprise at his quick motion, dropped his handkerchief in receiving his cane. This also Bellamy, attentively shaking, restored to him, and Sir Hugh, who could accept no civility unrequited, said, "'Sir, if you are a stranger, as I imagine, not knowing your face,' You are welcome to a place in my pew, provided you don't get a seat in a better, which I'm pretty much afraid you can't mind being the best. The invitation was promptly accepted. Miss Margland, always happy to be of consequence, was hastening to Sir Hugh to put him upon his guard, when a respectful offer from Bellamy to assist her down the steps induced her to remit her design to a future opportunity. Any attentions from a young man were now so new to her as to seem a call upon her gratitude, nor had her charms ever been so attractive as to render them common. Edgar and Indiana, knowing nothing of his late declaration, thought nothing of his present admission. To Dr. Orkborne he was an utter stranger, but Camilla had recourse to her fan to conceal a smile, and Eugenia was in the utmost confusion. She felt at a loss how to meet his eyes, and seated herself as much as possible out of his way. A few minutes after, looking up towards the gallery, she perceived in one of the furthest rows young Melmond, his eye fixed upon their pew, but withdrawn the instant he was observed, and his air the most melancholy and dejected. Again a half-sigh escaped the tender Eugenia. How delicate, how elegant, thought she, is this retired behaviour. What refinement results from a true literary taste. Oh, such be, Clermont, if he resemble not this Oxonian, I must be wretched for life. These ideas, which unavoidably, though unwillingly, interrupted her devotion, were again broken in upon when the service was nearly over by the appearance of Lionel. He had ridden five miles to join them, 
merely not to be thought in leading strings by staying at Etherington to hear his father, though the name and the excellence of the preaching of Mr. Tyrold attracted to his church all strangers who had power to reach it, so vehement in early youth is the eagerness to appear independent, and so general is the belief that all merit must be sought from a distance. The deeper understanding of Mandelbert rendered him superior to this common puerility, and though the preacher at Cleves Church was his own tutor, Dr. Marchmont, from whom he was scarce yet emancipated, he listened to him with reverence, and would have travelled any distance, and taken cheerfully any trouble, that would in the best and strongest manner have marked the respect with which he attended to his doctrine. Dr. Marchmont was a man of the highest intellectual accomplishments, uniting deep learning with general knowledge, and the graceful exterior of a man of the world, with the erudition and science of a fellow of a college. He obtained the esteem of the scholar wherever he was known, and caught the approbation of the most uncultivated wherever he was seen. When the service was over, Edgar proposed that Dr. Marchmont should join the party to the cottage. Sir Hugh was most willing, and they sauntered about the church while the doctor retired to the vestry to take off his gown. During this interval, Eugenia, who had a passion for reading epitaphs and inscriptions, became so intently engaged in deciphering some old verses on an antique tablet that she perceived not when Dr. Marchmont was ready, nor when the party was leaving the church, and before any of the rest missed her, Bellamy suddenly took the opportunity of her being out of sight of all others to drop on one knee and passionately seize her hand, exclaiming, Oh, madam, when hearing an approaching step, he hastily arose, but parted not with her hand till he had pressed it to his lips. The astonished Eugenia, though at first all emotion was completely recovered by this action, his kneeling and his Oh, madam had every chance to affect her. But his kissing her hand she thought a liberty the most unpardonable. She resented it as an injury to Clermont that would risk his life should he ever know it, and a blot to her own delicacy as irreparable as it was irremediable. Bellamy, who from her letter had augured nothing of hardness of heart, tenderly solicited her forgiveness, but she made him no answer. Silent and offended, she walked away and, losing her timidity in her displeasure, went up to her uncle and whispered, "'Sir, the gentleman you invited into your pew is Mr. Bellamy.' The consternation of Sir Hugh was extreme. He had concluded him a stranger to the whole party, because a stranger to himself, and the discovery of his mistake made him next conclude that he had risked a breach of the marriage he so much desired by his own indiscretion. He took Eugenia immediately under his arm, as if fearful she might else be conveyed away for Scotland before his eyes, and hurrying to the church porch, called aloud for his phaeton. The phaeton was not arrived. Still more dismayed, he walked on with Eugenia to the railing round the churchyard, motioning with his left hand that no one should follow. Edgar, Lionel and Bellamy marched to the road, listening for the sound of horses, but they heard none, and the carriages of the neighbouring gentry, from which they might have hoped any assistance, had been driven away while they had waited for Dr. Marchmont. 
Meanwhile, the eyes of Eugenia again caught the young Oxonian, who was wandering around the churchyard. Neither was he unobserved by Indiana, who, though she participated not in the turn of reasoning or taste for the romantic, which awakened in Eugenia so forcible a sympathy, was yet highly gratified by his apparent devotion to her charms, and had not Miss Margland narrowly watched and tutored her, would easily have been attracted from the cold civilities of Edgar to the magnetism of animated admiration. In these circumstances a few minutes appeared many hours to Sir Hugh, and he presently exclaimed, "'There's no possibility of waiting here the whole day long, not knowing what may be the end.' Then, calling to Dr. Orkborne, he said to him in a low voice, "'My good friend, here's happened a sad thing.' That young man I asked into my pew, for which I take proper shame to myself, is the same person that wanted to make Eugenia give up Clermont Linmere, her own natural relation, and mine into the bargain, for the sake of a stranger to us all, which I hold to be rather uncommendable, considering we know nothing about him, though there's no denying his being handsome enough to look at, which, however, is no certainty of his making a good husband, so I'll tell you a mode I've thought of, which I think to be a pretty good one for parting them out of hand. Dr. Orkborne, who had just taken out his tablets in order to enter some hints relative to his great work, begged him to say no more till he had finished his sentence. The baronet looked much distressed, but consented, and when he had done, went on, Why, if you will hold Eugenia, I'll go up to the rest and send them on to the cottage and when they are gone i shall get rid of this young chap by telling him eugenia and i want to be alone dr orkborne assented and sir hugh advancing to the group made his proposition adding eugenia and i will overtake you as soon as the garden chair comes which i dare say won't be long robert being so behindhand already then turning to bellamy i am sorry sir he said I can't possibly ask you to stay with us, because of something my little niece and I have got to talk about, which we had rather nobody should hear, being an affair of our own. But I thank you for your civility, sir, in picking up my stick and my pocket-handkerchief, and I wish you a very good morning and a pleasant walk, which I hope you won't take ill. Bellamy bowed, and saying he by no means intended to intrude himself into the company, slowly drew back edgar then pointed out a path through the fields that would considerably abridge the walk if the ladies could manage to cross over a dirty lane on the other side of the churchyard the baronet who was in high spirits at the success of his scheme declared that if there was a short cut they should not part company for he could walk it himself edgar assured him it could not be more than half a mile and offered him the use of his arm "'No, no, my good young friend,' answered he, smiling significantly. "'Take care of Indiana. I have got a good stick, which I hold to be worth any arm in Christendom, except for not being alive. So take care of Indiana, I say.' Edgar bowed, but with a silence and gravity not unmixed with surprise, and Sir Hugh, a little struck, hastily added, "'Nay, nay, I mean no harm.' "'No, sir,' said Edgar, recovering. "'You can mean nothing but good when you give me so fair a charge.' And he placed himself at the side of Indiana. 
"'Well, then, now,' cried Sir Hugh, "'I'll marshal you all, and first for my little Camilla, "'who shall come to my proper share, "'for she's certainly the best companion of the whole, "'which I hope nobody will take for a slight, "'all of us not being the same, without any fault of our own. "'Dr. Orkbourne shall keep to Eugenia, "'because if there should be a want of conversation, "'they can go over some of their lessons. "'Lionel shall take the care of Mrs. Margland.' it being always right for the young to help people a little stricken, and as for the odd one, Dr. Marchmont, why, he may join little Camilla and me, for as she's none of the steadiest, and I am none of the strongest, it is but fair the one over should be between us. Everybody professed obedience but Lionel, who, with a loud laugh, called to Edgar to change partners. "'We are all under orders,' answered he quietly, "'and I must not be the first to mutiny.' Indiana smiled with triumph, but Miss Margland, firing with anger, declared she wanted no help and would accept none. Sir Hugh was now beginning an expostulation with his nephew, but Lionel preferred compliance to hearing it. Yet to obviate the ridicule which he was persuaded would follow such an acquiescence, he strided up to Miss Margland with hasty steps, and dropping on one knee in the dust, seized and kissed her hand but precipitately rising and shaking himself called out my dear ma'am have you never a little clothes brush in your pocket i can't kneel again else miss margland wrathfully turned from him and the party proceeded to a small gate at the back of the church that opened to the lane mentioned by edgar over which when the rest of the company had passed into a beautiful meadow Lionel offered his hand for conducting Miss Margland, who rejected it disdainfully. "'Then you will be sure to fall,' said he. "'Not unless you do something to make me. You will be sure to fall,' he repeated coolly. Much alarmed, she protested she would not get over before him. He absolutely refused to go first. The whole party stopped, and Bellamy, who had hitherto stood still and back, now ventured to approach, and in the most courteous manner, to offer his services to Miss Margland. She looked victoriously around her, but as he had spoken in a low voice, only said, Sir, to make him repeat his proposal more audibly, he complied, and the impertinences of Lionel rendered his civility irresistible. I am glad, she cried, there is still one gentleman left in the world and accepted his assistance, though her persecutor whispered that her spark was a dead man, and strutted significantly away. Half frightened, half suspecting she was laughed at, she repeated softly to Sir Hugh the menace of his nephew, begging that, to prevent mischief, she might still retain Bellamy. "'Lord, be good unto me!' cried he. "'What amazing fools the boys of nowadays are grown!' with all their learning and teaching and classics at their tongue's end for nothing. However, not to set them together by the ears till they grow a little wiser, which, I take it, won't be of one while. Why, you must e'en let this strange gentleman walk with you till t'other boy's further off. However, this one thing, pray mind, lowering his voice, keep him all to yourself. If he does but so much as look at Eugenia, "'Give him to understand it's a thing I shan't take very kind of him.' "'Beckoning then to Dr. Orkborn, he uneasily said, 
as I am now obliged to have that young fellow along with us, for the sake of preventing an affray about nobody knows what, which is the common reason of quarrels among those raw young fry, I beg you to keep a particular sharp lookout that he does not take the opportunity to run off with Eugenia. The spirit of the baronet had overrated his strength, and he was forced to sit upon the lower step of a broad stile at the other end of the meadow, while Miss Margland, who lent her tall thin figure against a five-bar gate, willingly obviated his solicitude about Eugenia by keeping Bellamy in close and unabating conference with herself. A circumstance in the scenery before him now struck Dr. Upborne with some resemblance to a verse in one of Virgil's eclogues, which he thought might be happily applied to illustrate a passage in his own work. Taking out, therefore, his tablets, he begged Eugenia not to move, and wrote his quotation, which, leading him on to some reflections upon the subject, soon drove his charge from his thoughts, and consigned him solely to his pencil. Eugenia willingly kept her place at his side. Offended by Bellamy, she would give him no chance of speaking with her, and the protection under which her uncle had placed her she deemed sacred. Here they remained but a short time, when their ears received the shock of a prodigious roar from a bull in the field adjoining. Miss Margland screamed and hid her face with her hands. Indiana, taught by her lessons to nourish every fear as becoming, shrieked still louder and ran swiftly away, deaf to all that Edgar, who attended her, could urge. Eugenia, to whom Bellamy instantly hastened, seeing the beast furiously make towards the gate, almost unconsciously accepted his assistance to accelerate her flight from its vicinity, while Dr. Orkborne, intent upon his annotations, calmly wrote on, sensible there was some disturbance, but determining to evade inquiring whence it arose, till he had secured what he meant to transmit to posterity from the treachery of his memory. Camilla, the least frightened, because the most inured to such sounds from the habits and the instruction of her rural life and education, adhered firmly to Sir Hugh, who began blessing himself with some alarm, but whom Dr. Marchmont reassured by saying the gate was secured and too high for the bull to leap, even supposing it is a vicious animal. The first panic was still in its meridian, when Lionel, rushing past the beast, which he had secretly been tormenting, skipped over the gate with every appearance of terror, and called out, "'Save yourselves all, Miss Margland in particular, for here's a mad bull!' A second astounding bellow put a stop to any question, and wholly checked the immediate impulse of Miss Margland to ask why she was thus selected. She snatched her hands from her face, not doubting she should see her esquire soothingly standing by her side. But though internally surprised and shocked to find herself deserted, she gathered strength to run from the gate with the nimbleness of youth, and flying to the stile, regardless of Sir Hugh and forgetting all her charges, scrambled over it, and ran on from the noise without looking to the right or the left. Sir Hugh, whom Lionel's information and Miss Margland's pushing past him had extremely terrified, was now also getting over the stile with the assistance of Dr. Marchmont, ejaculating, "'Lord help us! What a poor race we are! No safety for us! If we only come out once in a dozen years, we must meet with a mad bull!' 
He had, however, insisted that Camilla should jump over first, saying, There's no need of all of us being tossed, my dear girl, because of my slowness, which is no fault of mine, but of Robert's not being in the way, which must needs make the poor fellow unhappy enough when he hears of it, which no doubt I shall let him do according to his deserts. The other side of the stile brought them to the high road. Lionel, who had only wished to torment Miss Margland, felt his heart smite him when he saw the fright of his uncle, and flew to acquaint him that he had made a mistake, for the bull was only angry, not mad. The unsuspicious baronet thanked him for his good news, and sat upon a bank till the party could be collected. This, however, was not soon to be done, the dispersion from the meadow having been made in every possible direction. End of chapter 10